Once there was a time when all the elements of earth, sea, and sky lived on the land together in many, many villages. Many years ago, back in the old country, there lived a holy, sweet couple who loved each other so very much. A long time ago, in a village, somewhere in Tamil Nadu, there lived a monkey. There was once a man, tall and handsome, who met a, a woman, beautiful and elegant, and they fell in love with each other. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. I grew up in a large family and we told lots of stories. Some of them were historical, we loved Greek and Roman mythologies, and some were stories about each other. Stories of drama and persecutions that were not always my fault. If I really wanted to get a sibling into trouble, I always had a few tears that I could get going, which made my sad story all the more believable. One of the punishments that my brothers loathed was to hug and make up. If they really made me cry, I could sometimes decide if I wanted them to kiss me on the cheek. They hated that with the fire of a thousand suns, and they had to do it. But I had to be really convincing and really believe I was the one who was being persecuted. For the first story, there is both persecution, the real kind, not the he took my toy type, and a man who has the absolute confidence to debate a king. Pam Farrow, a storyteller from Colorado, tells the story, The Sign Language Debate. Once... There was a Spanish king who, sad to say, hated Jews, and he wished to find a way to banish them from the town. He summoned the chief rabbi and said to him, I will have a debate with a Jew in the language of signs. I will allow 30 days to prepare. Choose someone from amongst your community. And if I win on the day of the debate, or if no one appears to take part in it, I shall then order all the Jews in the town banished never to return upon penalty of death. If the Jew wins the debate, all may remain. So sure was this king of his debating skill. Well, for four weeks, the people gathered and prayed and fasted, but no one felt able to accept the king's challenge. No one wanted the responsibility, the the possibility of being the downfall of their people. No one stepped forward to represent the Jews in this mysterious sign language debate. Well, two days before the debate was to take place, the Jewish 
poultry dealer returned home. He had been traveling the countryside and now returned home, bringing chickens from the surrounding villages which he had purchased. He had not heard what was going on in the town, and he saw that the market was closed. And when he reached his home, he found his wife and children weeping and fasting with ashes on their face. What is the matter, my wife? And she told him of the king's decree, of this strange debate in sign language, and that no one had stepped forward to volunteer to represent the Jews. And if no one did, well, my husband, we shall all surely be turned out of our homes and banished from this town forever. Oh, said the poultry dealer. Is that all? And he went directly to the rabbi, and he said, Rabbi, I have just heard, and I am telling you that I am ready to debate the king. The rabbi clasped his hands, shook his head, and said, May God help you and bring you success. On the appointed day, the poultry dealer met with the king before a great assembly of the people for a debate in sign language. First, the king, who was the one to begin, pointed one finger at the Jew. And the Jew replied by pointing two fingers at the king. The king gasped, straightened his shoulders, and then raised his open hand, fingers spread wide. The Jew answered by raising a clenched fist. The king straightened his robes, took two or three deep breaths, and then finally reached into his pocket and deliberately took out a moldy piece of cheese. The Jew reached in his pocket and took out an egg. The king staggered back took a deep breath and announced to the assembly, I cannot deny it. This Jew, this poultry dealer, has shown such deep wisdom in answering my questions, sign for sign, disputing my positions, that he has indeed won the debate. <laughs> and so, to the great joy and frankly, the puzzlement of the Jews, they were not turned out of their homes and banished. And indeed, they were treated with tolerance from that time on. But you need to know that as they parted and left the debate, the king's advisors and courtiers gathered around him and said, Your Majesty, what did you say to him? 
And what did he answer? Well, said the king, first, I pointed with one finger directly at him, meaning that there is one king in the land whose law all must obey, and you're looking at him. But he, he answered me with two fingers, reminding me that there are two kings, the earthly king and the heavenly king. Well then, I raised my open hand with fingers spread wide to show that the Jews are scattered far and wide throughout the world and are a people without hope, therefore. But he, he raised his closed fist to answer that instead. No, the Jews are bound together, and together they are strong. So finally, said the king, I showed him some moldy cheese to show that the Jews are an old people with an old religion who should all just die off. But he responded by showing me an egg, telling me that no... Know that the Jewish people instead are ever new and a source of life. What answer could I have to that? Well, meanwhile, <laughs> the Jewish poultry dealer's friends and family gathered around him and asked him to explain how he had done it. What had they said? How had he bested the king in the debate? Well said the poultry dealer. The king pointed at me with one finger to say he was going to poke out my eye. So I pointed back with two to tell him that I would take out both of his. <laughs> then he threatened to slap me with his open hand, so I showed him what I would do with my fist. And after that, and here, the poultry dealer paused, looked around at his friends and family gathered nearby, gave them a slow wink, and said, After that, he took out his lunch, so I took out mine. Genetic testing is all the rage these days. While some genetic tests will discover where your family is from in the world, Changeling Child Genetic Testing, proud sponsor of the Story Story podcast, will discover where your family is from out of this world, or under the world as the case may be. Are you allergic to iron? Never quite fit in with your family? We understand. Maybe you belong to the other crowd. Changeling Child Genetic Testing. Find your ancestors and discover if your family tree is really a fairy tree. When I was younger, I did not like yams or sweet potatoes. They were orange, mushy, and nothing tasted quite right with them. Salt and butter clashed with the sweetness. Marshmallows were a waste because I would have rather eaten the marshmallows without the yams. However, 
when they were served for dinner, I devised a plan so I would not have to eat much of them. I would separate small bites and sneak them into my hand. Then, when everyone was looking the other way, I would toss them under the table and towards my younger sister's chair. The idea was that she would eat hers, but because she was younger, it would be assumed she had dropped some food. After dinner, I would casually pick up the lumps of wet yam from under her chair and off the carpet and throw them in the trash. No one would be the wiser. As far as I know, I was never caught, and this story is my public confession. I fooled my parents, and I must say, though, they can have the last laugh as now I like sweet potatoes and yams, though primarily as fries or pies. The next story is about making bargains with the gods and hoping to pull one over without terrible consequences. This story is from a teller in India, Deepa Vivekanand. She has been telling stories all over India since 2009. As a little girl, her favorite activity was to listen to her grandmother tell her folk tales, myths, and historical tales on the way to school as they rode on the rickshaw. And now she has a story for us. The Satwara Farmers, a folktale from Gujarat. There was a time when Parashuram, the sixth incarnation of Hindu god Lord Vishnu, wanted to rid the world of Kshatriyas, or the warrior race. This was because his father was murdered by the sons of a Kshatriya king following a bloody war. Parashuram felt all Kshatriyas had become corrupt, high on power and evil, and that they should not be allowed to live on earth anymore. He swore to kill and went on a personal genocide mission to annihilate the Kshatriya race over 21 generations because he saw his mother beat her chest 21 times in agony as she sat crying beside her husband's body. It so happened that after all the killing, only 16 Kshatriya men remained. It is here that our story begins. One day, Parashuram was chasing the 16 young Kshatriya men to kill them. Frightened, the young men ran into a temple of Lord Shiva to seek shelter. Once inside the temple, they prayed to Lord Shiva. O Lord, sea of compassion and mercy, save us. Save us from the angry Parashuram. Save us from his powerful axe. Lord Shiva felt sorry for these young men and decided to answer their cry. Out of the sweat and dust from his own body, he instantly created 16 young women. Marry these women, for they are my daughters now, and you shall be protected, ordered Lord Shiva. The Kshatriya men, without a moment's hesitation, agreed. When Parashuram reached the temple, he was about to raise his axe to kill the men, and right at that moment, Lord Shiva intervened. Stop, Parashuram! These men are not Kshatriyas, they are farmers. You're mistaken. Moreover, they are my sons-in-law, for they have just been wed to these young women I have created. Parashuram was puzzled, but he decided not to go against the word of the Lord. So he returned. Now, the Kshatriya men were suddenly turned to farmers, but they had no idea about farming. They sat around all day with nothing to do. Their wives were beginning to complain about the men becoming idle. And Lord Shiva himself sat observing this rather sadly. One day, the 16 men decided to seek Lord Shiva's help yet again. 
they went to the temple and prayed, O Lord, please give us some land that we may till, for we do not wish to remain idle all our lives. Lord Shiva agreed, but to make sure they would work hard, he added, I shall give you land, but on one condition. You must give me half the produce from all your lands at the time of harvest. The men agreed. And then the men asked, What part of the crop would you like to share, O Lord, the upper or the lower? The lower, said Lord Shiva. Your wish is our command, O Lord, said the men. And they soon began work on their lands. Lord Shiva subsequently left for the Himalayas, while the men decided to plant millet that year. After a few months, they had a bountiful harvest. Lord Shiva returned from the mountains, and when he returned, he saw that the men had harvested the grain, which was the upper part of the crop, and the only things remaining were the stalks. Since he had already given his word to take the lower part of the crop, he had to settle for the useless stalks. He felt cheated but did not show his displeasure. Instead, he resolved to make good his losses with a new plan. Soon it was time for the rains, and that meant it was time to sow a new crop. The men went to the temple again and called out to their god, O oh Lord, please tell us which part of the crop you would like to have this time. Immediately, Lord Shiva replied, Only the upper part. The men agreed and requested his blessings. Wishing them well, Shiva disappeared. The men began working hard. They ploughed their fields and prepared the soil. And when it was time to sow, they planted sweet potatoes. The rain watered their manured fields and as a result, the crop was abundant and plentiful. They were overjoyed for they knew they would be able to fetch a good price for it in the market. But soon they became glum because they realised one half of it would go to Lord Shiva. Until one of them said, Wait, we will only have to give the leaves of the crop to Shiva. He wanted only the upper part, remember? Oh, yes, you're right, said another. And they soon danced around in happiness. When Lord Shiva came to claim his share, he once again saw that the only things left were the leaves and the creepers. But since the bargain had been struck before, he gave in. He agreed to let the 16 men enjoy the entire harvest. And he said, You are the best and the most industrious farmers in the entire world. This is the story of how the Kshatriyas, a warrior race, came to be known as the Satwara farmers, a prosperous community of agriculturists who inhabit the regions of Gujarat and Saurashtra in western India. Similar stories can be found in Scandinavian folklore where crop division is dealt with as a motif. Usually, there is a contest between man and an ogre and the man wins because of his clever planting of crops in such a way that the ogre is left with the useless part of the plant. I was fascinated to find this connection between countries that are so far apart but united by their stories. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show notes and more information about the storytellers you heard today can be found at storystorypodcast.com forward slash episode 14. Show the love. 
Find Pam Farrow and Deep Viva Vekanand on Facebook. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. In fairy tales, the magic number is three, so I have three things for you to do. One, like and rate the show on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. Two, join the mailing list. You will get a link to the podcast delivered to your inbox, plus news and other storytelling-related goodness. Three, consider becoming a supporter. For as little as $4 a month, you help support the podcast and get a story story short, which is just what it sounds like, a short story often recorded by the storyteller just for the podcast. The short for this episode is by Cooper Brown, a friend of mine and a partner in crime and storytelling. He tells a tale that is in the spirit of this episode titled The Storyteller and the Samurai. You can find out how to support the podcast and join the mailing list at storystorypodcast.com and a huge thank you to the ongoing supporters. If you would like to stay connected, you can find me and the podcast on Facebook and Twitter. I post a visual for every fairy tale sponsor, something that you can't see via podcast. Let me know the favorite stories you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. Next podcast is all about parents trying so very hard to find the best possible mate for their child and the hopeful suitors that want to kiss the girl. I hope you'll join me again, and until then, live happily ever after. The wedding lasted for seven days. I know. I was there. I would cross 27 countries, wear out three pairs of boots, battle two giants and the grandmother of all witches, Baba Yaga, before I was reunited with my frog princess. But that's a story for another time. The last thing he said before he died was a curse on anyone who would dare to go sing with the fans. Just because a story is strange, do not mistake. It can also be true.